Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby. And this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. Yes, thanks for joining us for another Fox Rugby podcast. A, a very warm welcome to you and a very warm welcome to Sam Worthington and Christy Doran from foxsports.com.au. A, a shout out to Phil Pryor, the man on the tools today. Phil, good to have you along once again this week. Thank you very much, Nick. Uh, what an honour. Podcast, n- podcast number four for Phil today. That's what right. a workhorse. Just churning what an animal. through. And, uh, and also a warm welcome to um, one... Rodney Kafer, welcome to the first day of the rest of your life. Hello, Kate. Nicholas. Um, Boys, hello. hello. So let's explain a little bit. Uh, your role with Rugby Australia, Elite Coach Development, um, is uh, is over and done with, done and done and dusted. How are you feeling about about life on the outside? Well, finished yesterday, um, and now back to focus a little bit more on things here at Fox, which is which is good. It was a yeah interesting journey across eighteen months and a bit. But yeah, you know, has its has its ups and downs, as we all know in rugby. It's it's not easy to find solutions. What was great from my perspective is we saw, you know, I spent a bit of time focusing in and around Super Rugby. When I came in there, we weren't winning too many times. We're winning more now. Some of that is due to a whole range of other things. A tiny amount of that may well be due to some of the stuff that was done in by Rugby Australia, of which I played a role. It'd be little bits in here and there, but it was good to see. It's been good to see the improvement in our Super Rugby teams and they should continue to improve. I think um, coming off when we couldn't beat a Kiwi team forever now, we can sort of beat them less uh, consistent or more consistently, but certainly not as much as we'd like to be beating them, but certainly there'd be some opportunity. It's a very young community of Super Rugby coaches, isn't it? Do you see some real potential there? Do you see a you know maybe a future Wallaby coaching team and amongst the, the country? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, one, one of the things coming into that role is we've seen over time so much churn in people in coaching. You invest in someone, they don't get it right after two years or three years and then you chuck them away and you start again. You invest in another young bloke, give him a chance, he doesn't win as many games as you think he should and then we throw him away. That The loss of IP. The loss of IP, just the, but the investment in people and you've got to allow in every other, in most other industries, people are allowed to learn on the job and make mistakes. We sort of have a view that our coaches should come in and be at a certain level without really any understanding that when you haven't coached at a super rugby level, there's a learning curve that you've got to take. A head coach of super rugby doesn't walk in first day on the job and know everything. They get better over time. So part of the part of what I was trying to do was at least provide some thinking around how we can be long-term in the development of our people. Yes, we've got a number of young coaches. There are some very, very good coaches within that group and guys who'll get better over time, allow them to make mistakes. They'll get better. The game will be better for it. 18 months, people might say, why so soon? Or so, yeah, coming out yesterday, um, was there an opportunity? Did you want to carry on in the role or what's the reason why you're not um, there longer? Are you able to tell us? Christy, that is a that is a that's a multifaceted answer that's not easy to answer in a single sentence except to say there was a range of factors. Um, um, you know, sort of I instigated the 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 um, finish. So um, really, really happy and there was, you know, there are some very good people within Rugby Australia who are genuinely trying and continue to try hard to make a difference in the game. Yeah. The levers that exist within the game, they're not 
they're not easy. It's a complex system, a complex environment. Um, and, there, and there are people trying to improve it all of the time who work within there and, I, you know, they have my um, thanks for the work that they've done and the things that they're trying to do. Um, can, can we fix all of the problems that exist within the game? I mean, the great challenge within the game is if the oranges aren't cut up properly at the Coogee Dolphins under sixes, then it's Rugby Australia's fault. That's the board's problem. That's Cameron Klein. That's Raylene Castle. They didn't cut the oranges properly. Everything's wrong with Rugby Australia. Every problem in the game of rugby sits at the feet of Rugby Australia. Now, that's a real challenging environment to be involved in. And um, there are certainly lots of problems that Rugby Australia, the administration, have created on their own, absolutely. But not everything's their mm. fault. And um, it's it's important to provide some perspective around some of those things. It's complex, complex system that does require change. I don't expect you to respond to this, but I know... I know well, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I know that um, your uh, your short coaching stint in England was not a terribly pleasurable experience. I think we've spoken a little bit about that over the years. Um, but I, I'm actually quite sad that you're not uh, or are no longer trying to affect change from within because um, knowing you and, and knowing your uh, knowledge of the game, I, I think it's terrific to have had someone of uh, your stature within – small stature, no, um, someone of your stature within within Rugby Australia trying to affect that change. There's an element of, of sadness in that and apart from uh, your role here at Fox, I do hope that you are going to, to stay involved in rugby in, in some way. Um, just another big issue that I want to deal with today is the belt you're wearing, Rodney. Right. What, that's that's a very famous belt you've got right there. Well, it is. And let me before I talk about the belt. It just looks like a black belt to me. It is a black belt. But Tim Horan and I regularly turn up in black belts. And this is the belt. This is a, the Trent Nathan. I was just trying to work out whether they're still there. They were the sponsor of the rugby rugby kit back in the day. 1999 Rugby World Cup. This belt was the team issue belt. Timmy Horan wears it still to this day. We joke about it. It's been in existence now for 20 years, this belt. And look, it looks like it's a virtually a brand new belt. Oh, they must have made them pretty well. It's real well, kangaroo leather. It's a superb piece of haberdashery. No <laughs> yeah. there are, Tell there a few are, stories there, as well. There are two <laughs> things there. It, most of the clothes that Tim wears are somewhere circa 98, 99. And somebody's likely given them to him Correct. because he wouldn't have paid for them. Correct. Uh, and the other one is I'm just trying to work out, looking at your the buckles. your belt, uh, I'm trying to work out which holes are the most worn. <laughs> are we still on the original hole? Look, I was somewhat more calipigious back then, Nick, as <laughs> you'll recall. I love that <laughs> word. And that is somebody with very <laughs> uh, a very powerful <laughs> seat and a much bigger seat perhaps than That's what I have now. Uh, yeah. So I, I am still, as you can tell, what belt, what buckle am I, what hole am I on, Nick? That's the, well, it's the smallest one. It's the smallest one, so That's, I'm quite... What bad. a shame we're not a video podcast. We're staring at your midriff here yeah, for, yeah, for quite some time as you fiddle with your, your belt. It's, uh, yeah, it's let, quite something. But let me come back to that issue you raised about coaching and, and co coaching is and you know you, you refer to my couple of seasons as a head coach which was tough and challenging particularly in the UK I was involved in the transition of a club that would go on then to become one of the powerhouses of Northern Hemisphere rugby at Saracens when I was there in my first year I removed 19 players from that club and five staff members and fundamentally changed the club quite significantly the, the season that I departed halfway through the season 
that team made the semi-finals that year. The next couple of years, they'll go on and be in the finals. And now, one of the powerhouse clubs. Now, again, the catalyst for change, you don't always see immediate success every time you do that. And I was there for a short space of time. I'd coached previously for the last five years and I'd been assistant coach at Leicester and a player where we won the premiership, we won um, the Heineken Cup. I'd been an assistant coach at the Brumbies on the staff there where we won Super Rugby and a player. So coaching is not – so I started coaching when I was 20 years old, coaching – I was assistant coach of the ACT under-21s team when I was 22 years old. They brought me in to be assistant coach whilst I was still a player. So I'd been coaching for – an extensive period of time and whilst, um, you know, whilst it gets widely reported that I am a failed coach, every single coach fails at some point because if your definition of success is you need to win, well, one team wins, everybody else fails by that marker. So uh, the, the concept of a failed coach is actually every single coach. That's the coaching lifestyle. It's it's what you do. You get each year. You get an opportunity to be a success. You either win or you don't. One one coach wins. Everybody else loses. Everybody fails. So that's the nature of it. And you know that that sort of commentary is inane. Um, it doesn't really serve a purpose. Um, but that's that's the life as a coach. I was in there as a role rugby trader, trying to help coaches. They'll be able to. Be a, be a judge of whether I made any contribution or changed anything that they were doing or assisted them at all. That's not for me to say. But with a bit of luck, um, some of the work that we've done will continue. Some of the some of the um, things that we've put in place will will continue, and we'll start to see the benefit of that. And that'll happen in time. Well, um, and let's so so that is a natural progression to a chat about. The Reds at the moment, they play the, the Sunwolves on Friday night and you've, I don't think I'm talking out of school, but you've had a hand in uh, placing uh, or having a hand in um, creating that coaching structure that exists at, uh, at Queensland Rugby. Um, how do you think they're travelling at the moment? Because that is a perfect example of perhaps the beginning of uh, a legacy being, being built at the Reds. And, and again, there's a whole range of people who get involved in that decision-making process. I, pl- I was involved in a small way. I sat on the selection committee. I was keen to see coaches who had had experience in Australia, as I said before, or who had had experience at that level join a coaching team with a young coach like Brad Thorne, who Brad's got a lot of development left to do in, the, in his coaching. And he's early, young, in a coaching career, will continue to get better if he keeps to work at the craft. The two guys who we were that I was very keen to put with him were two coaches in Peter Ryan and Jim Mackay who've got extensive experience in coaching the game. It's it's logical that pairing up a young head coach with guys who've got a fair bit of experience just makes a lot of sense. And yes, I was I was very supportive of those two guys getting in there. I didn't want to lose Peter Ryan from the coaching system here in Australia after he left the Brumbies and we were successful in keeping him in Queensland. And Jimmy Mackay had come back into Australia and I had spent six or eight months in Sydney and we'd been in constant contact um, and wasn't coaching but was prepared to wait for an opportunity of a role when it might come up. So to have a guy... With, with their experience and both of them in the system, in and around Brad Thorne, is important. How are the Reds going? They're starting to improve. They've got a lot of work to do. This is still early in their cycle. They have, by 
everyone knows they've got a very young, they've got a young side. Um, and in fact, uh, my view was, let's stop talking about the young players that they've got there because it's it's part of the excuse culture. There's no excuse into a Super Rugby team. Old, young, it doesn't actually matter. What you've got to do is win. So moving away from this culture of a young team, mm. they needed a team to become successful. They will and should. Last year they won six games. This year they should win more than that. They've got an opportunity, in fact, should results go their way, to probably top the, yeah. you know, then, theoretically they could top the table. Now, you don't want to tell a young team that, so just scrap that. No one's listening to the Next players Next three weeks are huge, huge for them all against the three games against uh, other teams in the Australian Conference. Correct. So they've got this great opportunity to continue to develop um, as a team. They're, they're not the finished article. I don't expect them to... To, to feature in the finals this year because they're not at that level. If they do, they will have absolutely overachieved in my estimation. But we're starting to see some of the green shoots around how you can develop a young side. Uh, very early on in Tate McDermott's career, you thought this guy is going to be a player. Um, what have you made of his season so far? And, and he's someone that, um, he's tried to downplay his own Wallaby chances, but do you see him potentially featuring come, come July? Um, I, I'd rather not talk about that. Uh, not not because I, I don't think it'd be doing him. Uh, I think it'd be doing him uh, a disservice. Disservice to talk about that because what what I like, I'll tell you what I liked about him. I, the first thing you you want in a rugby player is pure competitiveness and a desire to win. You want to see people who are winners. We've got too many people in our game, players in our game, who don't have the burning desire that every time they walk on the pitch they want to win and they want to and they want to win. They want to win at everything. In teams that I'd been involved in that were successful, you the thing that defines successful teams, and whether it was here in Australia or overseas, the thing that defined them is the players in those teams would do anything it took to win. It didn't matter. You would do everything you possibly can do to win a game. Tate McDermott is that kid. He's super competitive, wants to win at everything he does, and you can just see it in the way he talks, the way he walks, the way he acts, what he does on the field. He wants to beat the bloke he's playing against. Mm. That, that for me, starts and finishes the conversation around what he brings, it's a winning mindset. Now, the greatest the greatest players that I've ever played, and I was lucky enough to play with, I was never a great player myself, but I played with great, great players. They all had that. And if you look at our little mate, George Gregan, George was the most competitive human being I'd ever seen, closely followed by, you know, Steve Larkham, Tim Horan, John Eels, all the great players, absolute competitors. That's why... I like Tate McDermott. I only have to spend five minutes with a kid and watch him and you know that he's a winner. You know he wants to win every time he walks onto the field and they're the guys you want playing for your team. So Tate McDermott, um, he's just starting off in his career. There aren't many that he can look to to learn off at, at the Reds in terms of senior players. Um, one of those, though, is Scott Higginbotham and, uh, and Christy and I managed to get a word yesterday with, uh, with the Reds veteran. Listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Scott, thanks for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. No, no, not a problem. Good to be here. Um, your season uh, so far, personally, you, you happy with how you're travelling? 
Yeah, look, it's been, um, you know, I, I suppose it was a slow start um, for, for us blokes. But, look, we, we sort of, um, you know, we've definitely had some good wins um, you know, in amongst it, obviously, um, coming off that win against the Sharks in Durban, um, you know, was a huge, um, you know, a huge confidence booster for us leading into these next three um, conference games. Yeah, we'll get to those three wins in a, in a moment, or sorry, those three matches in a moment. But uh, clearly you've just had a bye. Um, so is that a good thing, having a week off after such a historic victory, first time in, what, 15, 15 years or so uh, over in Durban? Yeah, look, I think it's it's actually couldn't have come at a better time. I mean, when you had the, the um, you know, our first bye round one, which, you know, nobody, nobody wants um, – Coming off that, uh, we played, I think, nine games uh, leading into this um, next block of seven. Um, you know, I guess it's it's come well. So, you know, we lead into three conference games um, and and quite a few home games with um, New Zealand teams and um, and the Jaguars as well. So, yeah, it's look, I think it's come at a really good time. We sort of everyone needed a freshen up, especially after a, a two week South African trip. Mm. Were you able to because you had the buy? Were you able to you know have a have a bigger night of celebrations as well uh, after the Durban success? Uh, look, yeah, look, we we obviously um, you know you got to celebrate those kind of things. So we had a few beers over in over in Durban, but look, there wasn't you know a huge amount of um, celebrating. You know, we hadn't haven't exactly done you know anything yet in the season. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, of course, we had a few beers and, and enjoyed each other's company. But, you know, nobody wants to travel, you know, 24 hours back home hungover. So <laughs> we sort of – we kept it, you know, reasonably low-key. Yeah, no, nobody wants to, but but it has happened before, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> so uh, let me ask you about that. So, uh, you know, you're one of the older heads now at, at the Queensland Reds. Um, and over the years, you know, you've, you've seen things change. Is that one of the things that's changed the most over your career is that sort of – you know that that drinking culture and the fact that maybe it's not so much now as it, as it used to be, and you know everyone's uh, more focused on their on their recovery, and you know I guess in some ways perhaps even a little more professional nowadays than, than they might have been when you started. Has that has that changed a bit over the years? Uh, yeah, well, it's about a bit sad, isn't it? I think. <laughs> Um, oh, mate, yeah. And also, I don't think I'm just one of the older heads. I think I'm the oldest head by quite a number of years at the moment. <laughs> I was being kind. Come on. Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was really nice of you. But um, <laughs> no, look, I, I think it, it definitely has changed um, changed a lot, um, you know, since I started, which which is obviously um, nice to reminisce and talk about with, with the older guys when they're around. But, yeah, look, it, it, it's a good thing, I think, in a way. You know, the guys are, um, you know, more professional in terms of recovery and um, you know, I guess looking after themselves and looking after their body. Um, but I mean, it's it's funny, you know. You actually get quite a lot of guys who, um, you know, for religious reasons or just um, you know, well-being reasons, don't really drink. Um, you know, these days, I think, which is, yeah, I guess a lot different to to what it was like when when I guess I first started. Exactly right. So, um, well, let's let's talk about the fact that yes, you are uh, by a long shot the oldest member of the team. You've got uh, some some young men around you, particularly uh, in that forward pack. And would you say that that's been part of the reason that the um, the consistency of the Reds this year has really been off and on? You haven't been able to find that consistency. Do you sheet that home to the youth of the side? Oh, look, I don't think you. 
you want to put it all down to to the youth. I mean, I, I think we worked out on the weekend against the Sharks. I was the well, the, I mean, the next oldest forward um, was 22, <laughs> as opposed to myself being 32. So it's it's an interesting dynamic. Um, yeah, it is a lot of fun playing with those young guys. Um, but I suppose you know, being so young, I mean that. They're only sort of most in the first sort of second season in Super Rugby. There's a lot of teams they haven't played, so you just don't have that, necess- you know, that experience um, in terms of knowing how particular teams play, you know, what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. So they're sort of still learning, um, you know, I guess the the competition and and I guess you know learning their own trade as well in terms of you know what kind of game or what kind of style of football they want to play. And, and, Scott, your young mate, uh, Tate McDermott, who's clearly enjoying a, a breakout season, uh, he, he spoke yesterday to the Queensland media and, and spoke about the fact that, you know, we want to have it, this being a line in the sand, and that term, line in the sand, has been used a few times. But um, he, he said that they really want to, you know, or the Reds really want to, you know, make make like, make their, their, their actions on the field do the talking rather than talking themselves up off the field. So... What's the the talk been like within the Reds over these past couple of days since you've come back um, following the buyer? Yeah, well, I mean, we've got ourselves to a point where you know it's it's nine games into the season. You know, we've passed halfway, and you know the competition is just wide open. You know, everything went everything went our way on the weekend in terms of wins and losses, and you know, you look at the points. Um, I think we're maybe two points behind the Waratahs and Brumbies. Um, and six points behind um, the Rebels. So basically coming into the conference games, I mean, the next three games are the, are the most important of the season. Um, if, we, if we can, you know, get, I guess, double points as you do winning in your conference games out of the next three, then, you know, we put ourselves in pretty good stead for the last sort of run of four games home. So I, I think the chat is just basically, you know, th- there's an opportunity there. We're not just playing to, um, you know, to, to save face, we're playing for an opportunity to play in finals, and it's and it's you know it's it's a reality. So it hasn't been the case for a while. Down, yeah, twenty. Yeah, well, that's right. Twenty thirteen. Yeah. Yeah, twenty thirteen. I think the last time the boys were in the quarterfinals. Um, so yeah, look, it, it's it's there for the taking. It's just whether we, you know, want to sort of put everything aside and get everything together and, and have a crack at it. Yeah, Sunwolves, Rebels and, and Tars over the next three weeks. And like you say, if you're getting points uh, against them, the, the teams in the conference, it means that they're not getting points and uh, and the, those gaps uh, really, well, can firstly close up and then you could you could put a stretch on the other teams as well. So there's so much to, to play for. Um, where do you think the teams improved enough to, to do that? If you are to beat the Sunwolves and the Rebels and, and the Tars over the next three weeks, you know, a lot of people making the point that um, Samu, is, to an extent, Samu Karevi is, is carrying the back line. Do you think that's a, a fair characterisation or have you seen enough improvement in the back line, for example, to suggest that there are uh, some wins on the way? Oh, look, I, I think there's, there, there is improvement. I think there's great talent in the back line. You know, Chrissy Sortia, obviously, um, Tate McDermott, is there Bryce Hegarty? I think has done a really good job in terms of, you know, running the cutter. Um, so it's it's just about I think our biggest thing for the next sort of block of games is basically playing out our structures and playing out our patterns. You know, if we can do that, I think we can we can go a long way in the competition. We've obviously got great individuals with 
with, you know, phenomenal skills that can, you know, like Samu, score a try um, and put points on the board out of nothing. So if we can put phases together um, and actually play our patterns and, and put points on the board that way, then, you know, we, we're sort of doubling our chances in terms of just having, you know, great individuals that can score tries off turnovers or, you know, nothing plays. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> Scott, before we let you go, clearly this year more than than ever, a World Cup year, you, you're always talking Wallabies and you're always talking about um, selections and a lot of people over the years have been saying, well, why hasn't Scott Higginbotham playing more? With a couple of new selectors coming on board, does it open up um, an opportunity perhaps for for you to, to come back and, and add to your, your test tally? Oh, look, I mean... You know, everybody wants to play Wallabies and, and a World Cup. You know, playing at another World Cup would be great. Um, but, look, I've just got to focus on, on my game and, you know, first and foremost, focus on the team and, and what we can achieve in Super Rugby. And, and if, if the team plays good football, um, you know, the, all the players sort of lift and, and we're all playing good football, then, you know, those opportunities will come. So I'm not too focused on on sort of wallabies and, and that sort of thing at the moment. Um, you know, we'll just see how we go in Super Rugby. I've got to put some some good performances together and, um, you know, hopefully put some more points on the board. Have you always been like that, Scotty? Have you always been uh, one of those guys who's just decided, okay, well, if I play well enough, I'll, I'll get picked? Or was there a time that you obsessed about getting picked for the wallabies and, and was the most important, and I'm not suggesting that it's not important to you, but, you know, was it the most important thing at the time or have you always been a little more relaxed about it? Oh, look, I think there was definitely a time when I was younger where, um, you know, especially when you first make wallabies, it's you, you obviously stress through the super season in terms of, you know, am I playing well enough to get selected? You know, you, every game is an opportunity to get selected. But, yeah, look, I, you know, that was early on. I think more so nowadays, I suppose, since I went to Japan and came back, um, you know, I've just focused on wanting to play good football and, and, and taking it one game at a time. And, yeah, look, you can't do anything more than that. I think if you try and focus on every game and, and every game is a, um, you know, a dress rehearsal for, for Wallaby selection, then, you know, you're focusing on the wrong thing. And has that been something you've been able to pass on to people like like Tate McDermott? Oh, look, uh, you know, I think um, those blokes are in a in a great position. I mean, they're, they're 20, 20, 21, 22 years old and they've got, you know, they haven't been selected for the Wallabies yet, so there's no stress on them. All, all they have to do is is just play well and, and that's what they're doing. They're, they seem to be really enjoying their football. You know, they're a bunch of mates that... They played schoolboys and, and 20s and NRC together, and now they're playing Super Rugby together. I mean, you know, you can't really ask for too much more than that. So, Yeah, exactly right. And you'll all enjoy your footy over the next three weeks if you can string those wins together because it's going to set up the season. There's no doubt about that. Thanks for joining us. Good to catch up and uh, look forward to your continued success and, and maybe that gold jersey as we uh, get further into the season. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, Scott Higginbotham, it's hard to believe that he is 10 years older than the next uh, youngest in that Reds forward pack. Uh, just goes to show that, uh, what is it, seven out of eight are uh, uh, between 20, 20 and 22, 22 years old. So there's a lot of good years to come from uh, the big men at the Reds. Just on that challenge that uh, that waits for them against the Sunwolves, the Sunwolves had him on toast at half-time uh, in Tokyo. 
they won't let that happen again, will they? The the Sunwolves? Uh, sorry, the the Reds. I wouldn't think so. I mean, the Reds, you know, particularly being back at home after their trip, it'll be important for them to keep building on that momentum and trying to establish now this little block, this three-week block, as we heard Scotty say, it's really important for them to to keep it going. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's right there for them. As you said, it's so tight in the Australian Conference. You think of the Reds, you know, being maybe a year or two away, but they are right there if they can string some wins together. The the Rebels have been fluffing their lines. The Tars, unfortunately, fluff their lines. So it's it's even the Sunwolves um, can't be completely discounted from taking the Australian Conference. So, yeah, it's competitive. Certainly, though, the, the Reds' forward pack performed really well against the, the Sharks a couple of weeks ago to win that. And Karevi, somehow Karevi was outstanding at, at 12 and Tate, his kick and game, engage man, game management was was excellent. So um, Karevi will be the, the focus, I suppose, once again for, for the Reds. Uh, Kaif, what have you made of, of Samu's work at 12 this year? Keeps getting keeps getting better at 12. I, As you know, we've spoken a lot about what I think the model is for the 12, and I've been banging on with this country for 10 years about it, he's the model. Big ball carrier with an offload game. We don't need two ball players sitting at 10 and 12. We need a ball player at 10. We need a ball player at 15. But we need a big body at 12 because of the way the game has shifted. And we're seeing the impact that he has in the game. And when I mean the game has shifted... Quite rightly, people are somewhat disillusioned with the way rugby's being played. I am as well with the way we use our forward runners, the the propensity of how we pass the ball from nine to a forward rather than nine to a ten. We limit the way we play. We're asking more of our forwards. We, we haven't invested enough in the skill elements of our forward pack to actually profit from that system. We're copying, and I don't like it, but what it's, what it's required as part of that is to have a body who can be in and around the ball close enough off the nine who's big in that 12 jersey, who can carry like they were a forward, like they can get you some forward momentum because you've got to get momentum before you can use the ball in the way the game's defended now. Karevi can do that. He does it better than any other player in this country. But teams have sort of we've, – we've picked him at the Reds and at other places we've picked him at 13. At the Wallabies we've tried to slot him in at 13. I don't believe that's his position long-term. I think his position is at 12. And I know long-term for us is actually only this year because he's going somewhere else. But he might come back. Um, he's a 12 every day of the week. And I hope we can get a model where 10 and 15 are our – ball players and we use a big body in the midfield. I think Brad Thorne's realised that recently because earlier on the season we kept on having injuries, or the Reds kept on having injuries with Geordie Batea, then Chris Fowler-Satur getting injured and then Samu every game was getting shifted to 13 halfway yep. through because Duncan was coming in at 12. So it's just nice to see Samu actually playing at the position he's, he's picked up. Yeah, he's outstanding there and I think um, from a Wallabies perspective it is actually important to have those two big centres because the forward pack's not the biggest, especially if you've got Hooper and Pocock in the back row, they're not amazing dent the line uh, ball carriers are they so you need those centres to actually get you a bit of bit of game line which would be pretty crucial might be some time for the selection committee to 
discuss those things too, Sam, I suspect, because not all of them are picked. That team hasn't been picked yet. That's right. Are you talking about the back row combination? Well, back row, midfield, outside backs, lots of change. That's the fascinating thing. It is all up for grabs. And if Mm. if you're a fringe Wallaby, um, you know, you need to be playing the house down these last, you know, the last section of Super Rugby because there's a genuine chance with a a brand new selection team now. Well, a couple of those guys that uh, that fit that bill of either fringe wallaby or or wannabe wallaby playing for the Rebels uh, against the Hurricanes this weekend, and big opportunity for the Rebels to get back on track. Uh, so the wheels are a little bit wobbly at the moment; they haven't come haven't come completely off. But gee, tough ask against yes, the Hurricanes. Yes, absolutely. And uh, well, look, Dane Haylett Petty comes back. That will add some experience at fullback. It, a big opportunity for him. He needs to you'd expect fire early on because he's got a couple other fullbacks that are doing well around the country. Um, Jordan Ulisi is back as as well, it would seem. And mm, the Michael forgotten che- man. Michael Checker's very excited about that because he clearly picked him, what, 24 months ago or so to make his – 20 months ago to make his, his debut. So a couple of big ins. Uh, you'd like just to see a little bit more variety from the Rebels in attack. Um, would you say, Kaif? Well – so, so the rebels have a strategy in attack, and there was there was there was certainly there were two things that the rebels, from a coaching perspective, wanted to be known for this year, and this was their plan way back into the back end of last year. There's two things that they were going to do: they were going to play flat, mm-hmm. and they were going to play straight, because the rebels saw every other team in Australia playing exactly the opposite. Every other team in Australia was deep mm. and lateral, and that's how. Our Super Rugby teams had played. It's certainly how probably if, if I was to make a comment around the attack of the Waratahs at the moment, I think most people would describe it as deep and lateral. Certainly how the Wallabies played, deep and lateral. The Rebels wanted to be the ones, the breaker of chains, as it were. They wanted to be the ones who would bring us something different. And that point of difference was flat and straight. What the Rebels have become, though, is a two-pass team and they're – they can't, they can't attack outside of two passes because they're so flat and and that's giving them some issues. Their balance in their game is actually subtle. They need to, and it was a comment, Scott Johnson made this comment to me the other day where he said, and it's very, very valid, he said, there's one thing about being flat, but you want to end up flat. You don't have to start flat to end up flat. You mean when you're hitting the ball, you don't have to... Correct, yeah. So what we're seeing is... Rebels, Quade Cooper and, and their team and their forward pack and all of their runners, they start so flat. They are super flat. But they lack they lack variety because of that because it's very difficult to go backwards and grab a bit of depth if you're that flat when you start. It's hard to turn around and go backwards. So, so in their in their defence, that's that's a, is that a coaching tweak? That's not a that's not a huge change of no. coaching philosophy. Okay, we want to play the way we want to play the game this way now. No, no, you said it. Quade, Quade. Rather than be there, take two steps back. Yeah. Just two. That's all you need. And move on to the ball. Mm. You'll end up just as flat. And and look, so Scotty what's that, Johnson... What's that do for the opposition? It means that they've got more options. Oh, they're thinking about more things? Oh, you mean you mean defensively? defensively? Yeah. Well, well, no, no, no. It, it, it means that the defence... Because if, if you play... So, so when you think about attack, then naturally, if you're coaching attack, you need to think about defence. What's the defence going to do? If you're defending against that team, if you're playing, if I was coaching against the Rebels, 
you would just blitz all of the time. You'd put them under so much pressure and try to catch them behind the gain line. High risk, high return. Get them, you're great. Blitz them, they'll put someone through a hole. But as long as you can cope with that, you've got it. You've got the opportunity to apply great pressure. Take Genia and Cooper out of the game for the Rebels and the game effectively it doesn't – I'm not going to say falls apart, but it puts pressure on their game because when, when I look at the way the Rebels play, they have a real high reliance on – Will Guinea passing to Quade Cooper? Quade Cooper having um, uh, Billy... Um, Billy Meeks. Billy Meeks. Sorry, I forgot his last name. Billy, I'm really sorry. Billy Meeks. It's all right. He can't remember yours. Yeah, no, He calls me Kearns all <laughs> yeah, the time. Yeah, uh, you number 12s are supposed to look after each other. <laughs> Billy Meeks. Sorry, Billy. Um, has um, Billy... So there's the three of them, and, and they're very much... Um, they're, they're very much all together, which means... They quite often don't have attack on the other side of the ruck. What I'd prefer to see them do is to take the pressure off Guinea, Cooper, by having Billy somewhere else, other side of the ruck, or Dane Harlett Petty, other side of the ruck, as an attacking option. And Will, don't go to his forward pack there. Don't go to Quaid out the back. Take the third option, which is hit the guy on the other side of the ruck. Mm. So the so the ruck defence of the opposition doesn't get rhythm of just keep coming forward and bashing and bashing and bashing. That's how you upset the Rebels, and we've seen them be upset because of that. Yeah, I think it was great that they are doing something different and it had great success to start the season, didn't it? But I think it was the Stormers that first um, set the template with that, yeah, really rushing on, on Quaid and shutting him down. Um, so, yeah, they've had the bye week to now think about it. So I think Sean Byrne and co will have cooked up a few new ideas um, for the Hurricanes. It's going to be a, a daytime game over in there in Wellington. So look look forward to seeing what they bring. I mean, Quaid and Will, they're experienced enough and, and skillful enough to have variations on that attack, aren't they? I'm, mm. sure, I'm sure they will. Jack Maddox has been a big loss Couple of, for a couple of weeks as well, you know the concussion. Cam Clark's head, but he put him out of the yeah, out of the running. yeah, and he was scratching against the Stormers, and unfortunately, Samisi Tupo drops one over the line. Mm. Twenty minutes through, and yes, anyway, old news there. Mm. Um, t- just a footnote: TJ Perinara taking his uh, All Blacks enforced rest this weekend, so he won't be there for the Hurricanes. Um, the Tars, uh, you want to talk about structural issues in in teams? I guess. That sort of applies to the Tars at the moment. They're against the Bulls at Loftus uh, at 11pm on Saturday night, 11pm Eastern. What are the Tars trying to do? We, we kicked this around on Super Saturday uh, post-game after the, the Sharks beat them at uh, Bankwest Stadium on Saturday night. Um, weren't quite able to put our finger on it. In terms of attack, what what, what is the Tars' plan at the moment? Because whatever it's whatever's happening is not, not working. Well, the, the, the Tars... The Tars have come into this year off the back of their attack last year. And their attack last year was excellent. And and when it, it was excellent for a couple of reasons. One, they had Naya Ravoro on the left wing who scores, what did he score, 16 15, tries? Yeah. 15, 16 equal, tries. Equal yeah. the record. 15 tries. And when – so, so their attack, and it was I think the most tries the Waratahs have ever scored in a season, all this sort of stuff. So their attack was great. What they did last year was playing very much the same way as they've played this year, deep and lateral, but they had big bodies on the end of the line like Naya Ravora who could actually one-on-one, give him that one, get the ball to him, be deep, which gives you the opportunity to get a one-on-one. Just swat someone. And you can swat them and then you're over the game line. Now their problem is, and they had Izzy, as, Izzy of course, playing well also, um, this year, without him, they move the ball to the left edge. 
and want to attack wide and play wide. Teams are aware of it. They put a bit of pressure on. Now that you don't have the real big bloke who can beat anyone, two or three, and get you across the gain line, you're caught lateral and deep behind the gain line and your game falls apart immediately. So every time they're attacking right to left, last year they'd get the ball to the bloke and they'd it'd be happy days. This year, completely different story. And that unra- and that's unravelling their game because they can't get across the gain line. Their forward pack are not quite as effective at carrying the ball as perhaps they were um, certainly last year. This year, again, a little bit ineffective. They didn't. They weren't able to get the big ball-carrying player that they wanted to get. They got the South African lad across but haven't really seen any game time roots. I think it's yeah, LaRue Roo- Roots. Yeah. LaRue Roots. Um, haven't really had any game time from him. Haven't really been able to select the team that can – you know, carry the ball aggressively, get across the gain line so that they could use their smaller, more agile players in the back line. Yeah. They don't have, you know, they, they just it's just not coming together for them at the well, moment. They put such so. an emphasis on defence this season, haven't they, with Steve Tandy, and that, yep. that has improved. Their defence has certainly improved, but I think since Izzy went um, away as well, I think they've said box kicking with Jake Gordon was the, the plan. Let's um, play a, you know, a more gritty style, a lot, a lot of pressure, and just try and feast on one or two mistakes. So they're, they're probably caught in between um, that identity a little bit at the moment. Just for the record, their gain line success hovering low to mid-40s. Low to mid 40% uh, for the year. And last year, averaging 34 points per game and four and a half tries per game. This year, averaging 24 points per game and three tries per game. So, and I think they're worst in down. the comp, gain line, worst in the comp, yeah, maybe worst or, or second yeah. worst. So it's, and that, and that's, a real, that's a real telling thing. You, when, when I look at the stats and the things that are actually really important, you can take stats on lots of different things. There's two or three things that are absolutely critical in the game that are highly correlated to results. And and clearly, um, you know, some defence, some attack. But the one thing in attack that I think is the high, uh, that high, correlates um, highest is gain line success. If you're above 65% in gain line success, you rarely lose a game. In fact, when I do the numbers for the All Blacks, the, the only games the All Blacks lose, it's like, it's like eight of the – nine games that they've lost in the last 10 years, they're under 65% for gain line success. It is so critical. And if you're going to play the game going backwards, it is so hard to win in rugby. And well, given that and given the size of the, the Sharks forward pack and then what they'll come up against. Well, and their midfield. Yeah, well, that's yeah. right. But but what what's laying in wait yeah. at Loftus Bulls, on Saturday night? No, no, I'm saying that is, is what, what we saw against the Sharks Correct, and yeah. now the Bulls lay in wait yeah. on, on Saturday How night. How can you is, predict the Bulls game plan? Very difficult to predict the Bulls game plan. But but you, you, know, you know physically what's coming at you. So... You know, that, 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 well, it makes that, it hard when you don't have Jack Dempsey and you don't have Jed Holloway. Jed Holloway, yeah. it's, they're, really, so they're really light on. I think really their best bet will probably be to, to try and run them off their feet, which won't be the easiest either. Uh, so that's on Saturday night uh, at 11 o'clock, the earlier game, just before that, the Brumbies and the Blues. So the, the Brumbies um, back at home after a uh, trip to South Africa and, and Argentina. Um, are they... On the improve, are you seeing enough from your old side to suggest that they're heading in the right direction? You're, you're chewing your bottom lip there. Oh, I'm not quite the, sure. <clears throat> I I expected more from the Brumbies this year, to be perfectly honest. So so I share some disappointment around where they're at at the moment and, and genuinely thought some of the changes that they made during the off-season, the direction that they've wanted to head, I, I had greater hopes. I actually thought they'd be 
a little bit more competitive. It's not to say that they won't become more competitive and get better. Um, but we see moments for the Brumbies where they play some just unbelievable rugby. And we've seen them play games which are incredibly good. But they haven't captured the 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 concept of how to play well for extended period of time or from match to match. It's just this level of inconsistency within a game and game to game. Seems like a lack of ruthlessness as well. They get themselves into decent positions in games and for whatever reason can't can't uh, put a nail in the, the coffin of a team. I mean, one from two on tour, it's, you know, they probably would have taken that um, before going away, but, um, you know, they had a pretty slow start to the season and they're still playing catch-up. So they're lucky that other teams are falling over in front of them. Well, that Reds loss really was the biggest, the most, that you could highlight that being with the inconsistency. They really didn't show up at all, but particularly in the second half against the Haguaras, they, look, they played all, they played all right. They, well, they defended they, once they again op- really well. Yeah, but they had opportunities. They just couldn't take opportunities. They, you know, they struggle many, scoring off well, yellow cards. The, and the, the attacking line-out didn't work, and that's been their big strength. Um, you know, yeah. they, they probably um, missed Josh Manray there a couple of occasions as well. So... No David Pocock for yet another week. Unfortunately, yeah. he's already been uh, ruled out for this weekend and no Rico Ioane for the Blues, so that probably balances itself out somewhat. Mm, there you go. Um, I th- just uh, on changes at the top, let's get back to where we started. Uh, Rugby Australia, um, Scott Johnson coming in. Yeah, so I'm not sure if you had anything to do with his appointment at all, but uh, firstly, what do you make of that appointment? Uh, did, are you optimistic about what he can do and, and what do you think his priorities will be as well? No, look, I had nothing to do with his appointment. That was done, board, CEO. He didn't um, take your job. He didn't push you out the door. No, no, not at all. I get on very well with Scott. I, I was very pleased to see him come in. I, th- I thought he was an excellent addition. I was, you know, in, in conversation when asked of my opinion, I was absolutely supportive of him coming in he's the he's the absolute he's the right type of person to come into the game great rugby ip innovator has um everywhere he's been teams are successful takes time does but but understands what it takes to be successful he's a winner he wants to win he's desperate for success he's desperate to see rugby in australia here be um be be Strong again. He's desperate for the Wallabies to succeed, and he's a he's a a guy who's been in rugby coaching and administration for a long period of time. You survive in those roles by understanding the mechanisms, the drivers, and and by being good at it. And he and he's good at it. So I I've got yeah again a lot of respect for Scott. I, I think he'll do an excellent job as I do for Ben Whitaker, who's been in who's who's um, you know quite. Um, with with a great deal of maturity, um, Ben has found a, a a way to to bring to be very um, courageous in bringing Scott in and supporting that sort of shifting himself out of some roles that perhaps he was involved in, bringing an opportunity for you know for, to be part of a discussion around getting Scott in to take over some of the things that Ben was doing. So there's a bit of a restructure there, which which takes courage and and foresight for the benefit of the game. So those things are positive things and I, I see it as being very, very positive and Scott's a, a very good influence on the place. Will demand change. Just as we uh, finish up, it's a D-Day, I guess, uh, for the 
uh, Izzy saga. Well, the next step, maybe it won't be the end, but uh, the next step. Unfortunately, probably not. Yeah. You know, uh, in the Izzy saga, uh, Saturday with his code of conduct hearing, and it, it, you know we don't have the 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 now saw the the legal wherewithal to to probably really drill down into what might happen. But is there a really delicate um, balancing uh, act to be done here by Rugby Australia in terms of um, the the uh, cultural? Uh, divide that that has the potential in appearing in, in Australian rugby now. You have um, Polynesian players, Pacifica players, uh, many of them very religious men, and and then you have uh, a number of uh, other players who've said that, that there's no way that they could possibly play with Izzy, despite what happens in, in this code of conduct hearing. This is a really uh, delicate moment for Australian rugby coming up. Well, if we leave aside the code of con- conduct hearing, which which Rugby Australia has no influence over, the 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 management around this is absolutely very very delicate, as it is for the rugby community, as it is for the for employment law, and 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 we are somewhat divided around. Even if we, if we look at the various different referendums and things that we've had, and the the census information around people who believe in God and those people who will say they don't believe in God are atheists. It's almost, a, mm. as I understand it, a 50-50 split or somewhere near those sort of numbers. So we've got this, this polarising divide between those who believe and those who don't believe. And this is an issue that um, is incredibly complex. The part of it, part of what, what the, what's required here are delicate hands um, and a high level of internal and external communication to the stakeholders who are involved. And the stakeholders include the fans of the game, the sponsors, the players, the staff and everybody else. It needs a real high level of strategic communication. Now, we can all argue the toss around how effective that's been to date, whether there needs to be more, what's being done, how how are Rugby Australia approaching that. But if you, for me, characterising it in a way to say this is something that requires, you know, a real delicate approach but needs to have the highest level of um, communication at every single level within the game to ensure that people aren't getting mixed messages and wrong messages. And if we've got, if we've got players who are <clears throat> from, from and let's say there are, as you described, Nick, perhaps two camps or, you know, I don't necessarily know that to be true, but there's certainly been some information no, from the Pacifica players. Well, I, I don't know that to be true either, uh, but if there is, it's understandable. I, I, I don't disagree with that. And, and, and the way to combat it is to actually get everybody in a room, mm. let's have the conversation and let's debate it. It's, it's, it's absolutely reasonable within the game of rugby um, and the game of rugby is a game of inclusion, it and it and it has to be and has to remain so. But that 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 also means including people whose views and opinions mm. you might not like. And we've played in teams, and I played in teams with guys who fundamentally had a completely different view of, of the world than me. But I we we embrace each other and 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 me to them. But everyone embraces each other because rugby's the unifying. And and the core of the core of all of that is is respect and you can't help but feel at times during this whole saga and this whole debate that respect for 
um, for many different views, and I'm not talking about respect for uh, necessarily Izzy's original view. I'm, I'm, let's put that for one side. But but as the debate has unfolded about what's gone on, there hasn't been a lot of respect on occasions shown between the the different points of view. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, one side has been very quick to dismiss another side and, and vice versa. There's there's a an element of respect that needs to be shown within the game, which sometimes recently I feel has been missing. And, and that's a... And that, I think, is typical of a polarising issue. You take a view one side or the other, you're either with or against, and and this one sort of cuts straight down the mis- middle, so it's incredibly complex. Nor does it help when you've got social media and well, you've and just got a click of a button correct. and things can blow and, up. And, and, and things it, get distorted, things get blown yeah, out of proportion yeah. and, and the, confusion confusion and, often and reigns. so yeah. much disrespect is, is born yeah. out of that, no doubt about it. So I don't think we've got any idea what to expect this weekend really, do we? I've heard opinions all over the show about, um, you know, Busy's got no chance, this is black and white. And on the other hand, it's, it's no, he's, he's going to come out of this yeah. um, with yeah. his contract and, intact. And, and how many people have you met over the last couple of weeks who, who know a lawyer or who knows yeah someone whose best mate is a lawyer yeah. and they say, well, let's just wait and see what happens. Yeah. Oh, that's the only... Uh, just before we let you go, Rodney, you bumped into a massive fan of the Fox Rugby <laughs> podcast. Why wasn't this brought up earlier? Yeah. Look, it, 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 with and it. it should be. I was, I was at a... I was in a cafe yesterday. Wouldn't have been your first either. Not the first fan, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I can count them on one hand. But... but a gentleman uh, by the name of Dave or John, I can't really remember his name. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, can't remember. But, but not, not because I don't want to, just because our conversation, it was Where's a very John? quick introduction. I'm of sure it was on. Dave. I don't know where this is from. John. But, but he will know. He had just <laughs> been to Panama and had been viewing the Panama Canal and had a shirt on saying Panama Canal with a, you know, like a touristy shirt. Yeah, yeah. He was just off the plane, had landed in Sydney that morning, was getting a coffee, came up to me and was devastated that mm. through his mm. three-week, two-week trip to Panama, the Fox Sports Rugby Podcast, that's what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> Fox <laughs> Sports <laughs> Rugby Podcast was not available for him to listen to. He was devastated. No. He wanted me to come to you, Nick, and mm. Christy and Sam and say, do not leave it for 10 days. It is killed him. Yeah. He's disappointed that Sorry, Dave. Yeah, Dave or John. He, but he knows who he is. He was yeah. a lovely chap. So, so he he'd gone to Panama. Did you? I think you filled in some gaps here because no one goes to Panama just to look at the Panama Canal. It's not like I'm not seriously. Certain. I'm not certain. But hey, but don't cast is, aspersions on John Dave. But he can but do what John, he wants. You're free but, to do what you want, John Dave. But John Dave had just <laughs> been to. John Dave had just been to. He booked himself yeah. in for a massage and acupuncture yeah. on his neck. Right. Um, from Panama because he knew he'd be tight after the plane trip. So he'd just gone for... thinking, innovation. Forward thinking. He'd just gone, had acupuncture on the neck and was grabbing a coffee to ward off the jet lag and then came to me and told me, I need that rugby podcast. So to John Dave, John Dave. We're back. Lie back on that acupuncture table. Put your headphones on and listen to the good podcast. You know what? Medical treatment, you know where he's been, you know what he's been doing. You cannot remember his name. No idea what his name is, Nick. All right. Um, Rodney, uh, on behalf of uh, the team here, good luck for uh, what's up next for you. I'm sure we'll find out uh, very shortly your next next career move. But um, really appreciate you having uh, spent some time with us today on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Pleasure. 